Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Questions from our Football Insider subscribers, our texters, go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get involved with that. Uh, Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Tom Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut, is looking ahead to the next two games. He says, Hey Mary Kay, if given a choice to sign up for a guaranteed one-and-one over the next two weeks, or take your chances, what would you do? Oh, I would take the one and one. I I don't <laughs> even think I I don't even think I need to hesitate on that one because I think it's going to be really hard to go into Baltimore and win. Now, having said that, I thought it was going to be really, really difficult uh for the Browns to beat the 49ers with PJ Walker at quarterback. I really did not see that happening at all. Um so Stranger things have happened, and I think this defense really does have something to prove. I think they want to prove that they are the best darn defense in the NFL and that they're not afraid of the Lamar Jacksons and the Patrick Mahomes and uh, the Joe Burrows of the NFL. And I think that, you know, this is a statement game, a signature game for them if they can go in there and, and beat these Baltimore Ravens who are, you know, playing really well and, and just doing a really nice job offensively. So um, I do think that it's going to be very, very difficult, uh, not impossible, but I think I'll take the, I would take the one-on-one instead of taking my chances there. Yeah. I mean, like if we just said, you know, if the Browns come out of this splitting these two games and you'd love to beat Baltimore, because obviously that would be the one where you can get yourself back in that division race. If you lose to Baltimore, they're going to kind of open up that lead a little bit on you, but you know, if you go one and one in these and that would put you at six and four with most of your division games played, you know, and, and the schedule easing up a little bit, you'd I think you'd be happy with that. So hey, it would be great to go two and oh and be seven and three, but I, I don't think anyone's gonna be disappointed if this team comes out of this one and one. Although it does beg the question, like, if they go into Baltimore and win that game and then lose to Pittsburgh is that more disappointing than the other way around? Does that make so if they beat, if they lose to Baltimore and then beat, beat Pittsburgh? So is one and one kind of different kind of based on how it happens? Well, you know what? I, I do think that, um, you know, it would take the wind out of the sails a little bit if they end up 
going in and winning this enormous game in Baltimore where uh, their home record is amazing, where John Harbaugh's record over the Browns is amazing, uh, and then come home and lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who for the fans, for many fans, that still is the arch rival of the Cleveland Browns. Um, And you can never count out those Pittsburgh Steelers. And a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers would continue to legitimize them and keep them in the hunt. So I do think that that would take a lot of the luster off of a big, huge victory over the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. But um, but I still think in the final analysis, when the dust settles and the next several weeks go by, that coming out of these two weeks, one-on-one unbal- unbalance would still be a pretty darn good thing. So if the Browns go to Baltimore and lose this game, um, and I mean, like we know Baltimore is a really good team. You talked about how great that offense is, but their defense is, is playing at such a high level. Uh, if the Browns go to Baltimore and lose this game, are we going to spend the whole rest of the, the season? Like, even if this team is having a playoff year kind of saying, Oh, can, yeah, but can they beat the Ravens? <laughs> is that going to be just sort of hanging over their head uh, the whole rest of the regular season? You know, I think so. You know, you've got to be able to beat the teams in your division, not only in the regular season, but, you know, also in the playoffs. So I do I do think this is just it's an enormous game. It's as close as you can get, Dan, to that thing that I don't say until it really is a thing. It's as close (laughs) as you can get. It's a phrase that the phrase that we will not speak. Right. And you know what? There are um, you know, we joke about uh previews of of games and call it the it's a big game and and we got to win it story (laughs) Uh, but this really is a big game and they really do have to win it if they want to uh you know just keep this playoff train rolling along I mean this is going to be uh, just a, you know, a fight to the finish. It's going to be a fight to the finish. And uh, I haven't written this yet today, but I, I know everybody's been kind of seeing it everywhere that if the season ended today, all four teams in the AFC North would be in the playoffs. Now it's never happened where all four teams in a division have made the playoffs, but you know, stranger things, well, haven't happened yet, but stranger things can happen. And, uh, and the way that this is shaping up, I mean, I think at least three teams are going to come out of this division. Yeah, it feels a little bit like 2020 when, you know, the Browns were the third team in uh, out of the AFC North. And you kind of looked at the schedules that those teams played, like outside of the division, it wasn't, you know, like the Browns had a pretty easy schedule in 2020. So Outside of the division, they were able to stock up some wins. You're, you're kind of seeing that a little bit this year with, you know, everybody gets to play the Cardinals. Everybody gets to play the Titans. Now, the Ravens have lost to the the Ravens lost to the Colts, uh, but everybody gets to play the Colts. You know, there's so teams are kind of piling up wins. And then these division games, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. Um, you know, the Bengals beat the Bills yesterday, right? So that's one of those games that you're kind of hoping if, if you're a Browns fan that, you know, the Bengals against an elite team get tripped up, but it doesn't happen. So you don't gain any ground on them. These next three weeks are going to be really interesting in this division because there's a whole bunch of AFC North games, not just what the Browns have, but the Bengals and Ravens play the Thursday night after this Browns game. So it, there's a, the, these next three weeks, there's a lot of very important AFC North games. And that could go a ways kind of depending who like if the Bengals start to or if the Ravens start to run away with it or if they come back to the pack then you that's where maybe where you start to get into four teams making it into the playoffs 
Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be really bizarre. I mean, the fact that the Bengals, you just knew that they were, you know, laying in the weeds and they were just going to be ready to pounce at some point. Now they've won four straight games. They just beat the Bills. I mean, my goodness, they are coming alive after a one and three start. That's really, really incredible. And then, I mean, you, you can never, you figured this out last year or the year before, Dan, that you can never count out those Steelers. You just can't. You can't. Mike Tomlin always finds a way to get his football team to win games. And a lot of it has to do with their defense. But, um, you know, you can't count them out. You know, the Ravens, Todd Munkin has got Lamar Jackson doing some really, really cool things. But I still think um, that this Browns defense is is just so darn good uh, that they're going to keep them in the thick of this, you know, right until the end. And as you mentioned, those AFC North games coming up over the next few weeks, you know, these teams are going to, you know, keep pulling each other back to the pack a little bit. You know, like nobody can just completely run away with it because they still have to play each other and somebody's got to win those games. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes. The Browns have some difficult games left. They've got three of their AFC North games still to, to play, uh, but they've got some easy games, a few easy games along the way as well. So um, I haven't really studied the schedules of all the AFC North teams yet, uh, but I think the Browns are about middle of the pack in terms of strength of schedule the rest of the way. I saw something somewhere where they were about 14th or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's really going to be uh, just a wild ride over these next nine games. So let's stick with the Ravens for this next question. Tom in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, and of course, this is interesting because the Ravens were kind of the first team that figured out a, a little bit how to exploit this defense uh, in, in that that week. Th- uh, was that week three, week four, whatever, week four game week four. Uh, against mm-hmm. the Browns. It all blends together. Uh, Tom in Danbury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary-Kate, what will be the Browns' biggest weakness against the Ravens? You know, I, I'm I'm going to say the running game. You know, they really still have to prove that they can stop that run. And they were pretty proud of themselves for what they were able to do yesterday. But, you know, lost a little bit in the euphoria of the victory was, I think, the fact that, you know, the Cardinals really came in with a hand tied behind their back in that game. I mean, that rookie was not ready to start that game, just in the same way that Dorian Thompson-Robinson really wasn't ready to start against the Ravens. Uh, It was two fifth-round rookies just going out there and, you know, really struggling in a football game. And then on top of that, they didn't have their three leading rushers. Uh, And that includes Joshua Dobbs, who was traded to the Vikings, their quarterback. Um, but, you know, they just did, they didn't have James Conner. They didn't have Amari DiMercato. Uh, they didn't have Joshua Dobbs. They didn't have anybody who has really run the ball for them uh, to any degree this whole entire season. And so the Browns really aren't sure yet if they have solved some of their running game problems. They, they're not really sure, but they will be probably sure after Sunday if they have kind of tightened things up there a little bit because uh, you know, you know that these guys are going to try to run the ball on the Browns. They're going to try to keep the ball, possess the ball, keep it out of Deshaun Watson's hands, keep it away from Deshaun to Amari. I mean, that's just Deshaun to Amari is just dangerous. Anybody to Amari is dangerous. Uh, He's just so good. I mean, he gets, he just, 
gets open. He gets behind the defense. He wins the contestant. I think he's having one of his best seasons ever. I really do. I, I think he's just phenomenal. I think he's gotten better. And um, so, you know, the Ravens aren't going to want to deal with that the whole entire game. And so they're going to do everything they can to uh, to hang on to that ball, to convert third downs, which the Browns really don't like to let anybody convert third downs. Uh, so it, it's it's really going to be something this time. And the Ravens just kind of figure out how to run the ball. You know, they just they just figure out how to do it. You know, yesterday it was this this Keaton Mitchell uh, ran for an undrafted guy ran for 138 yards. Um, and then, of course, they still have they still have our buddy, the Gus bus, Gus Edwards. Uh, he ran for 52 yards and a couple touchdowns. And then that's not even counting what Lamar Jackson can do in the run game. He's obviously still a, an incredibly dangerous runner, even though he's throwing the ball so well this year. So this is a really good test for this defense. And honestly, like if this Cardinals game could not have come at a perfect time for the Browns, they needed this game for the Deshaun Watson part of it, but for also like the defense too, like the defense sort of needed to find its center again. And they were able to do that against a very overmatched Cardinals team and kind of get a little bit of that swagger back that they'd lost, uh, you know, giving up all those points to the Colts. And, and then of course, giving up that game winning drive to the Seahawks little bit of that swagger was gone. So I think kind of getting some of that back is going to help. Yeah, that's vitally important. Uh, they did get their confidence back heading into this game. And when those doubts start to creep in a little bit, uh, you know, it, it can really be pervasive. And they kind of put the clamps on that. They they shut all that down. And like you said, they got their swagger back. They're heading into, into Baltimore, really feeling good about themselves. You know, we know that when you look back to uh, the last game, you had some comments by Roquan Smith that they were that uh, that they were going to come over and uh, you know beat their tails in front of their wives and kids. I don't know what's going to be said this week that's going to get people fired up, but I feel like it's going to be something. I feel like it's going to be something. There's going to be locker room uh, material. There's going to be bulletin board material uh, that we don't know about yet because it is the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. And it's going to happen. It's either going to be Odell's going to say something or Jadavian's going to say something, or maybe Roquan will, you know, build on what he said before, or I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. The Browns usually do a pretty good job of not providing the opponent with bulletin board material, but I feel like, you know, something's going to spill out here. And if it doesn't, then I think the Browns will manufacture it somehow because they play their best when they're fired up and when somebody, you know, lights a fire under them and and gets them angry. And I think that they need a bee in their bonnet to go into Baltimore and and really try to play their crazy best football, which is what it's going to take. Yeah, and maybe it will be Roquan again because obviously obviously the Ravens came in and backed it up. You know, he said it and they and they did. They came in and they beat the Browns' tails on on that day. So so who knows? Maybe Roquan will be be feeling himself a little bit. So you mentioned Joshua Dobbs. This is a topic with Deshaun Watson back that's sort of moot at this point, but we'll we'll throw in one more Josh Dobbs question just for the the novelty of it. Jeff Sapisi in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey Mary Kay. Could the Browns be six and two or even seven and one if they had kept Josh Dobbs? His performance against his f- performance with Minnesota with no practice or playbook uh, far exceeded Baker's highly touted Rams debut last year. Perhaps the Browns GM was too clever. Well, you know, it could not have hurt 
for them to have Joshua Dobbs on this roster to the point where I thought they should have traded for him on Tuesday. And I think it would have been easy to get him. And I mean, it's just like, why not? Why not give up a late round pick to kind of correct what I thought was a little bit of a mistake? I didn't think so at the time because I didn't think that even Joshua Dobbs was enough of a backup quarterback. I thought they needed someone more like a Kobe Brissett, a Gardner Minshew, a Teddy Bridgewater, somebody that had won a significant amount of games and could step in for you and hold down the fort for any length of time. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't poo-pooing that trade when it was first made, but I did advocate on Tuesday that they go back out and yank him back in here. And, um, you know, and, and who knows, there might be another game or two this season where they have to go to a backup quarterback. And I would still rather have Dobbsy, as we as everybody calls him, uh, ahead of anybody else right now. And I don't even know who the Browns would start. I mean, I guess they would probably go back to P.J. Walker. But, um, you know, at some point they might even turn it back over to Dorian Thompson Robinson. But, you know, you don't want that happening if it is, you know, a really – you know, really big, important game with the season on the line. I mean, what if you get to the season finale against the Bengals and in Cincinnati and you have to start a backup quarterback? I mean, you just you just never know. So I do think that they should have either tried to get um, Jacoby Brissett back here or they should have tried to get Joshua Dobbs back here. And if you don't need him, fine. And you gave up a draft pick to get them, who cares? I mean, you can always – make up a player somehow for one of those picks. Most of those picks don't turn out to be someone that you can't find somewhere else somehow, some way. Yeah. And the problem is I, I don't know how they could really trust either of their backups right now. Um, you know, PJ Walker at least moved the offense, but he turned the ball over a bunch and Dorian Thompson Robinson didn't look like you want him starting games. So I don't know how you could trust either of these guys right now. So it is an issue still if Deshaun, if that shoulder starts to hurt again, or if it turns out that maybe there's a limit to how many games he can play with that shoulder, I don't know. I mean, I, we kind of assume he's going to make it through the rest of the season now, but who knows? Because you've, you've said it before, this is sort of an unprecedented injury. So who knows where this could be a month from now? It could be an afterthought, or we could be right back to, to shoulder gate. I just coined a. I just coined what to call this thing. Right back to shoulder gate. Um, that, I mean, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but you just don't know. You're right, and and here's the other thing. And you know, we're not supposed to be able to talk about this, but we're going to talk about it. He did. He was able uh, to hit the mark on some of those long balls yesterday. He really did a nice job uh, when he had to let it rip. And I thought that was important to see if he could air it out like that. And he did a nice job on the 59-yarder and then the ball over the middle to Marquise Goodwin and the 49-yarder that he placed right over the shoulder of Amari Cooper. Um, you know, he did a nice job on those passes, but there were plenty, and I have to go back and watch the game again, but there were plenty of short balls where they were low or they were wide. They were off the mark and they were a concern. I know we all felt that way when we were watching that game. It was weird, actually. I mean, there there were times when there was just no pressure at all. And those shorter passes, the shorter outs and whatnot, just didn't get there. And it was it was kind of weird. And so, you know, let's see how he comes back from that this week. Maybe it was just one of those things where, you know, he's still working through this injury. Got to work out the kinks a little bit. And, um, you know, learn to adjust to it 
a little and, and figure out exactly how your shoulder is going to be responding. But, you know, there also is a world in which, hmm, what if some of those longer passes left him feeling sore? You know, we, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that. I'm sure he'll be fine and he'll play the rest of the season and ride off into the sunset and take the Browns to the playoffs. And he he will use that sore shoulder to hoist the Lombardi trophy. And he's not going to hurt at all when he lifts that thing. But, you know, there is a slight chance that, um, you know, that they're going to at some point need another backup performance. And for my money, I would have spent a six round pick to get Josh Dobbs back here. I probably would have done a fourth to get Jacoby back. Okay, well, let's take a break. And then we have some Deshaun questions. So let's get into those uh, on the other side. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Larry in Wallingford, Connecticut, a little bit of what you were getting into before the break there, Mary Kay. Hey Mary Kay, it was very hard to get a read on QB1 yesterday. A couple of passes were spectacular. Many were decidedly less. So is the consensus the bad throws were rust? There's that word again, you, rust. <laughs> rust. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it's rust or a little bit of a lack of arm strength when you're dealing with the rotator cuff and the um, the actual muscle that, that he has the strain in is the largest of the four rotator cuff muscles and it governs rotation of your arm. So I think that uh, it did impact some of those shorter throws. I mean, let's, it's okay to, you know, to call something that's quacking a duck. It's okay to do that. And I think it was pretty damn obvious that um, there was an issue there on some of those passes. And he brushed them off. That's fine. He should do that. And Kevin Stefanski completely brushed them off both yesterday and again today when we talked to him and, you know, just passed them off as, oh, that's just quarterbacking. Well, it's really not just quarterbacking to not be able to hit the mark on a 10-yard pass. It's it's not. Um, but what it is is – coming back from a strained rotator cuff is what it is. And nobody knows exactly how this is going to go. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe it was one game and done with those quirky passes. Um, But, you know, maybe it's something that's going to linger a little bit and he's going to have to deal with it. I I don't know. He did take some hard hits. I mean, he, he took some hard hits on that shoulder. And as Kareem Hunt observed after the game, he's pretty sure that Deshaun Watson is going to be feeling sore today because it does take your body a little while to readjust and reacclimate to just getting drilled and hit. And he took some big hits. He's a tough guy. I mean, when you talk to, when I asked Miles Garrett about, you know, the gamer mentality, the gamer aspect of Deshaun Watson, he raved about him in that regard. And, um, you know, I, I put a, a little short up on, uh, I think I did a little short up on, uh, maybe I didn't put a short up on on YouTube, uh, but I know I tweeted it. um, And it was just a really, really good answer from Miles about 
just how tough Deshaun is. And I think we can all agree on that point that he's someone that will go out there and sacrifice life and limb to make a play. He doesn't care. He knows he's going to get hit. He knows he's going to get drilled and he's going to go out and he's going to do it anyways. And so they can take some heart in the fact that they've got a tough, tough quarterback, but they also are going to have to know that, you know, there is some risk involved here. And again, going back to that Arizona game, just being like perfectly placed. If he had come back against Baltimore and played like he did early in the game where he really was missing throws and it didn't look sharp, Baltimore is a team that can turn that into, okay, no, oh no, now you're down 14 nothing, you're down 17 nothing. Arizona wasn't going to do that. So the Browns had that wiggle room. And, and certainly this is easy enough to say in hindsight, but I, I, and maybe the Browns would never admit this. And I think we, we touched on this in the postgame pod. Like this was the game to bring him back and get a feel for where he was. But if he starts off again like that in Baltimore, or if some of those concerning throws that we saw against Arizona do carry over, then you are looking at a situation where you're down 14, nothing or 17, nothing and Baltimore's, you know, off and running, which is not what you don't want to, you do not want to chase this offense, especially because on the other side, they have a great defense that, that can shut you down. They really do. I mean, their their defense this year is number one in the statistic that matters most, and that is points allowed. They are number one in that category, allowing only about 13 points a game. And you're right. If Deshaun Watson had gone out there and made some of those, you know, gimpy little throws like he made in the early part of that game where nobody knew what the heck the ball was going to do or where it was going to land. Uh, the the Ravens are, are going to make you pay for that. And not only that, they're going to bring the heat, okay? They're going to bring the heat. The Browns are now without their left tackle in Jed Wills. And everybody wanted to beat up Jed Wills this year for, you know, for being horrible. But the truth of the matter with Jed is that he gave up a total of three sacks. And um, on his, I think it's it was 300-some pass block snaps. Okay. So one, every 100 pass block snaps, he gave up a sack. Now he was giving up some pressures. He was up there in terms of giving up 29 pressures. So he was like tied for fifth in that category. But in the overall picture of the whole thing, if you look at ESPN's analytics after week eight, now we just finished week nine after week eight, he was number eight in pass block win rate in the NFL. And that's pretty darn good. Now, those analytics don't show up as nicely for Jed in the PFF rankings, where he's like 63rd overall and 55th in pass blocking. But in terms of those ESPN sort of newish pass block win rate analytics, he was eighth. He, I mean, that that's pretty darn good. So I think they're going to miss him. I do think they're going to miss him. It's going to be an adjustment because not only um, do they not have their starting left tackle, and we're not sure if James Hudson's going to move over there or if they'll put DeWand over there. I think they'll probably put James Hudson over there. Um, but in addition to, um, you know, not having your starting left tackle, James Hudson – until yesterday when he had to go in for Jed has not really blocked for Deshaun Watson all that much. I mean, hardly at all. So 
he doesn't really have the nuances of Deshaun's improvisational skills and running around and how long you have to hold the ball and how long you have to block and all the different things that you have to do when you have a running quarterback like this, especially one that holds the ball until the very last second. And I think that the Ravens are going to try everything that they can possibly do to exploit that. Okay, so we had a lot of questions about Jed, obviously. And of course, the news of the day is that Jed will not be out for the season. Um, He will go on IR. He's probably going to miss about six weeks, which would target that Christmas Eve game in Houston uh, for a potential return. Um, Obviously, we'll we'll have a better idea as that gets closer and closer. But that was certainly good news uh, on a lot of fronts that that Jed is not going to be out for the season. A whole bunch of questions about moving DeWan Jones to left tackle, which... Uh, Kevin Stefanski didn't rule out today when you asked him about that. Um, so we'll see. Jay and Canton has the most extreme solution to this problem. So we can discuss Jay's question and then get, get further into the idea of moving to one. But Jay and Canton says, hey, Mary Kay, would you guys rather move Joel to left tackle temporarily, keep DeWand at right tackle, or move him to left tackle and Hudson to right tackle? Feel like filling in at guard is easier to do than tackle. So Jay is going full reshuffle the line and move Joel, kick Joel out to the left side, keep the wand on the right side and figure out left guard. You know what? I mean, it's not <laughs> the worst idea in the world. I remember back when they put Joel at, at left tackle a couple seasons ago, you remember Stump Mitchell just raving and raving and raving about what a good left tackle Joel made. Uh, so it's not the craziest idea in the world. And, um, you know, when I did ask about possibly moving DeWand over there, because I've talked to DeWand about that, and he would love to be a left tackle someday. He was chasing Joe Thomas's legacy, and he would love to play at the marquee offensive line position. Um, but having said that, Kevin Stefanski did say, you know, we have options. And he didn't say what those options are, but they will explore everything that they possibly can because they have to protect their $230 million man. The one, by the way, who just missed three of the previous four games and most of the fourth with a strained rotator cuff. So they have to do everything that they can to keep him upright, to keep him safe, to keep him healthy. And if it means moving Joel out there, then, you know, perhaps they would do it. But I feel like they're probably going to, um, you know, just let cooler heads prevail a little bit and keep everybody where they're at and plug James in over at left tackle and maybe just try to give him the chipping help that he is going to need over there. Yeah, I mean, as fun as it is to sort of move pieces around and, and the thought of maybe moving DeWan to left tackle obviously is enticing. The reality is the easiest thing to do is keep everything as is. Keep DeWan where he's comfortable and has been playing well and just figure left tackle out and let Joel help out over there. Use your tight ends over there. You run like there's different ways you can help out. Um, so, and you know, they've been doing all this stuff with extra linemen and Nick Harris and um, obviously Hudson won't be doing that anymore, but Michael Dunn maybe gets back into that. If it when once he comes back, um, you know, they've, they've got some, they've got some options if they just want to take the simplest route and leave DeWand at right and put James in at left. Yeah. And the other thing to consider Dan is the fact that, uh, you know, this week, you know, I mean, I, I haven't studied Baltimore enough yet to know if they move guys around in terms of who you're going to face on what side. But Pittsburgh, for the most part, uh, keeps T.J. Watt pretty stationary. 
you know, coming off the left side, and he will be facing Dewan Jones for the most part. That's what they do with him. So I don't think I would make that move. I mean, Dewan did a pretty nice job on TJ Watt in his first NFL start, actually, on September 18th in Pittsburgh. Um, so I kind of think that they would keep him over there on that side, at least until they have to deal with TJ Watt. But who knows? And we probably won't know until we are in Baltimore and the game is underway because they're going to want to try to keep this under wraps. When you're talking about Kyle Van Noy, Jadavian Clowney, Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith, I mean, the list goes on and on. This is a really good defense that they're about to play, and they need all the help they can get. And and just one other point, too, about Joel um, is, you know, if you did move him out, you'd be a little thin at guard. Uh, just because, like mm-hmm. I mentioned, Michael Dunn is on, on IR for at least one more game. I think he went on after the Niners game. So that would, this would be his fourth game missed. So um, you'd, you'd be pretty thin at guard. You'd be looking at Luke Whipler or Nick Harris, or I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody. But it just doesn't seem like weakening that position especially with as important as the run game has been, would, would be the way to go. But who knows? Like, like you always say, Mary Kay, stranger things have happened. So <laughs> it, like, it wouldn't shock me if we showed up in Baltimore and we're watching warmups and it's like, oh, look, Joel is, Joel is warming up at left tackle. Right. A- anything can happen. But when you look at these next two weeks, uh, you're talking about some really good interior defensive players really good interior defensive players. So, you know, you might want to keep Joel inside where he's going to have to deal with, you know, the Cam Haywards and the, you know, some of those uh, kind of guys. So we will, uh, we will have to stay tuned for this one, but I think it hurts to, to lose Jed more than people might realize. And really what it means is you've lost your two starting tackles for the second half of the season, basically in Jack Conklin and Jed Wills. And when you looked ahead to this season, did you ever think, hmm, they're going to be without their all-pro right tackle, their number 10 overall pick left tackle, and their four-time Pro Bowl running back in the second half of the season? I don't think anybody envisioned that. Yeah, and the injuries are hitting that one side of the ball so hard, which can be – I mean, look at look at the Bills, right? I mean, they just kept losing defensive guys and defensive guys sometimes – Sometimes you start running out of guys. The Browns aren't to that point yet, but they're they're starting to get to that point. All right, this is a fun one. Uh, Kevin Loveland, Kevin in Loveland, Colorado. <laughs> hey, Mary Kay. I've been critical of Kevin Stefanski on occasion. However, I think moving Nick Harris to fullback has been brilliant. It reminds me of how the Ravens use Patrick Richard. It certainly feels like the running game has picked up. What are your thoughts on this move? And this has been one of the sort of fun developing storylines over the last last few weeks. Um, I got to talk to Nick a, a few weeks ago before the Seattle game and, and put up a story on it. Um, just kind of a fun wrinkle that the Browns have discovered with a guy that, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, was supposed to be your starting center. I think it's a great idea. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. He's athletic and and he can get the job done this way. And it's really, really worked very well. And I always wonder why teams don't think outside of the box more and do some more innovative things. And the use of Nick Harris has been really creative and innovative. So I I think that's great. I'm sure that, um, you know, I don't know exactly whose idea it was, and we may never know exactly whose idea it was at first, but, you know, it, it falls 
on uh, on Kevin Stefanski to actually put it in the game. And it's worked really, really well. And it goes back to, um, you know, how I've talked about trying to find somebody on your football team that can do something that you really need them to do. And the weirdo thing that I brought up last week was, you know, to, to find some big athletic defensive guy to hold off the likes of like a Miles Garrett. Why doesn't anybody do that? Like, why doesn't anybody just go get somebody like that on their team, find a guy that needs something to do or something else to do or can take on another role and has the, you know, maybe was a offensive lineman converted defensive lineman played offensive line in their day or something and, and just do something to try to help chip your tackles and not let miles take over the game. So I like it when I see stuff like that, that's different and that's creative. And just because nobody else is doing it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. So kudos to them for Nick Harris as the fullback. And I think too, it's a good way, you know, again, I mentioned Nick Harris was supposed to be the starting center. He gets hurt. Ethan Posick takes over. Now he's the guy long-term there. So, so there isn't really a role for Nick. And I think it's just good for guys like, you know, whether it's Nick or Michael Dunn or James Hudson, these guys that aren't going to play at all, except for maybe some special team stuff. Like let's give them a role. Let's give them something that they can obviously have to prepare in case they're needed to step in, but let's give them something to keep them engaged. So they're not just practicing all week and sitting in these meetings all week and they don't ever get to play. They don't ever get to be a part of anything unless somebody gets hurt. Like I think that matters. I think giving guys opportunities like that can matter. You you know, you're not going to do it to the detriment of winning. You know, this isn't junior high, but like if you can find a role to keep a guy happy and, and get him on the field and make him feel good about himself. I think that's great. Yeah. And you know, and Nick has some, uh, athleticism to him. He's got the ability to, to do some cool things. And so why not, you know, find something uh, for a guy like that to do? It's one thing that Bill Belichick always did. You know, he, he will find, uh, you know, players and give them a role. And, you know, it could just be a small little niche that, that he finds for, for a guy, uh, but it can make the difference in a football game. So I really like it. And I would like to see more cool things like that. Okay, one more here. This has to do with the defense, which played so great, of course, against Arizona. Larry from Wallingford, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay, how much of the defense's, defense's success is attributable to player additions versus scheme versus coaching? Well, let's think globally and not just against the Cardinals, because I think if you put too much stock in this Cardinals game that, you know, you could possibly get disappointed over the next three, four five weeks uh, if it doesn't look quite like that. Um, but globally, when I think about this defense, I think it's a combination of, of the, the above. I think that Jim Schwartz has everything to do with getting these guys to play with their hair on fire. I think he's changed the culture. I think he's changed uh, the mindset. I think he's changed the ability of, of the, you know, the dogs to just go attack and, and just get to the quarterback and, and wreak that kind of havoc. I think he's brought in a really strong, solid man defense, uh, you know, foundation in the back end that has, has really been tremendous because they have the horses to play that. And, um, and then they brought in some really, really good guys. I mean, look at the, the game that Delvin Tomlinson had, but not just the game that he had yesterday, but he's been having a, a really nice season. And then, you know, Z and Oboe, 
so I think it's a combination. I think it's Jim Jim's personality, his leadership, his scheme, and then the players that they brought in. Yeah, I think it's if you kind of look at the levels, you sort of see that it is that combination of like. Uh, so on the defensive front, right? It was like let's get the best out of Miles Garrett, but also let's just throw resources. Let's spend like we've never spent a defensive tackle, and let's go get a guy like Oba. Let's remake that defensive line room. Um, but then in the back end, they made some changes. Obviously, you know they they traded out uh, John Johnson for Juan Thornhill, but it's still mostly the same guys. It's still Delpit and Ward and Emerson and Newsom. Now Cam Mitchell is in there getting reps, but the core group is mostly the same save for Thornhill. Um, and they, they just put them in a different scheme and are using them differently. And they're all thriving. I mean, Juan Thornhill's out here calling Denzel Ward, the best cornerback in the NFL and, and Martin Emerson's having an incredible year. So I think, I just think you look across this defense, you can make the case for it's better talent at certain levels. You can make the case that the scheme fits better at certain levels. It's just across the board. I think it's all of the above, whatever you want to credit. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can spread that credit around, like you said, and the, you know, the man defense has really sort of brought out the best in, in Denzel Ward. So it's nice to see him rebounding from, you know, it wasn't his best season last year, but it wasn't the best season for really anybody in this defense for the most part, except for miles. Um, So, you know, guys are having an opportunity to shine and excel in this defense and they, they are feeling good about themselves. They are feeling that swagger. And so, you know, good for them. Even Greg, you know, he's out with a groin injury right now, but he feels better about playing that, you know, that nickel role that he did not want to be playing last year. But Jim Schwartz helped him to understand and see that some of the best cornerbacks in the NFL play that role and have made a name for themselves there and make Pro Bowls from there. And so, um, you know, he he has enjoyed doing that this year as well. So, uh, you know, it really has been good for everybody. But again, you know, they have to keep it going through this next tough stretch. Okay, there we go. Another Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Those came from our Football Insider subscribers, our texters, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a newsletter every day. You can become a texter and you get access to those stories that are behind the paywall. Uh, Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. And of course, if you're not subscribed already, get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. 